and Beard is gone. Even the Beard was go. in the movie. It's about time we kicked him off the show. Yeah, we were dragging his ass along for too long. Hello and welcome to the Amped About Movies podcast. I'm David, and today Colin, Chad, Hunter, and I will discuss the 1979 animated film Lupin the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro, which is currently available on Netflix. This movie was written by Monkey Punch, Hayao Miyazaki, Haruya Yamazaki, and Mary Claypool. It was directed by Hayao Miyazaki, and the dub we watched stars Bob Bergen, Steve Bullen, and Michael McConchie. A quick plot synopsis for the uninitiated. A dashing thief, his gang of desperados, and an intrepid policeman struggle to free a princess from an evil count's clutches and learn the secret hidden to a fabulous treasure that she holds part of a key to. There will be spoilers in this podcast, so we highly recommend you watch the movie before listening. Next week, we will be watching Napoleon Dynamite, which is currently available for rent on Amazon Prime Video. And now, without further ado, we will hand it over to Hunter. Breaking tradition in a big way today. Hunter, start us off. What were your first impressions of this film? Ah, oh, it's such a such an honor one to to go first. Uh, I absolutely so this is a personal favorite movie of mine, and I say personal favorite as in I first watched this movie a little over a year ago. I, I watched it. I specifically remember I watched it the weekend that I graduated from college. And in that weekend, I started watching the Ocean series. I watched Ocean's 11 and Ocean's 13 because Ocean's 12 wasn't on Netflix. And after that, I was really hungry for another heist film. I wanted something else. I was in that zone. And so as I'm scrolling through Netflix, I I scroll over Lupin the Third, and then, you know, the preview starts playing and it shows uh, Lupin with all the money in the car. And he says, oh, it's the best it's the biggest heist we've ever had we're we're so rich and in that moment i was like ah maybe this is gonna fill that void (laughs) and i watched it and i actually didn't really like that much after i watched it i was like ah it's not that good oh and so i got sick about maybe we'll say like two months down the line and i turned that back on because i needed a movie to watch and after that second viewing i have just been addicted to this movie this is my go-to comfort movie it is my go-to fun movie it is my go-to sick movie i think that no matter how many times you watch this no matter the situation you watch this movie in it is always a fun time a uh, lupin and the cast of characters are just absolutely fun and this is an experience that is great for both kids and adults i think that no matter what uh mindset you're going into this movie with you're just gonna have a fun time it's almost like a Scooby-Doo adventure before Scooby-Doo was a thing. It's a ton <laughs> of fun with Lupin and how every, I see you looking at you're like, what? But it, it is, it's, it's these. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think Scooby-Doo predated this, but go ahead. Oh, did it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> let me, let me rephrase that then. Uh, this is like a different version of Scooby-Doo. After Scooby-Doo premiere. It's a more adult version of Scooby-Doo. More adult. Uh, yeah, there are adult themes in this movie, which uh, I think are great, which we, we, we might get into. But overall, I just think it's a fun, ridiculous adventure uh, that you can watch over and over again and have fun with every single time you watch it. Sweet. Thanks, Hunter. 
All right. Now, again, change of pace. Chad, what did you think of this film? I'm so shocked that Colin is going last that I I, I wasn't even remotely prepared to go at this position. <laughs> but I know, dude. It's, it's a shock, but here you are. It, it is a shock, and I think it is appropriate because I, too, was shocked when I watched this film and ended up enjoying it. I... After the first few minutes, I was like, this is interesting. This is very different. Definitely a change of pace from what we have typically been watching, especially over the last few weeks. But it was a nice change of pace. I enjoyed it. I think I appreciated the lightheartedness that carried it throughout. It was a little bit corny at times, a little bit silly at times, a little bit over-the-top unbelievable. And that helped relax me while I was watching it. I, I guess I'd, I'd like to say, and it was just a very like comfortable viewing experience, which has been very, very different than some of the things that we touch on in the dark Knight or in fight club. And I yeah. very much so welcomed that. But on top of that, I was pretty impressed with the cast of characters. I was impressed with the storyline. I thought that for how many characters there were, each one played a, important part in the story and that helped carry it through um i never really felt disengaged or really bored or like um losing touch with the movie at any point in time so i appreciated that and i was pretty happy with a lot of the the technical filmmaking aspects of it uh especially for an animated film there were some pretty beautiful shots definitely some some enjoyable fun little like wacky at times music and things like that but it, it all added up uh, it, it has the movie's got a lot of charm and i liked it which i did not expect like going not last today <laughs> so full of surprises all right well thank you chad uh colin round us out what did you think about this film thanks david uh it does feel weird going last. Is this what you get? Chad, is this how you feel like all the time? <laughs> yeah, it's great, man. You just go like, you guys hit some great points. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. It's Way a lot go. more like listening to the podcast than being a part of it. I was going to say, I've been doing a lot of <laughs> nodding so far, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah, I'm going to take a different line than you guys. I didn't think this was a bad movie. I thought the animation was really great. I wasn't super enthralled by the plot. I don't think it was bad, but I think just because like I my ADHD is probably a little higher than yours guys, so it didn't keep me as well. I know the the premise was cool, like thieves in Italy, sorta with like gangs and multiple like antagonists all vying for the same thing. I thought it was pretty cool, but um, I don't know. I I wasn't gripped by it, but I don't think it was awful. I thought the presentation was beautiful. The animation was really great, especially for knowing the context when this came out. I believe like in the 70s, right? David, did you say yeah, that? Yeah, this came out in 79. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So late 70s, I thought, great job for that. Maybe, I don't know. I I think the dubbing maybe was the thing that took me out. I think. Okay. The- okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to jump in here because you just hit a hot spot. Um, so like when I was trying to do my research to find out who director, who like was starring in this film, I found that there are multiple dubs 
and one of the dubs is known for being better, and that's the one that is not on Netflix. Ah, okay. So we Maybe... watched the worst dub. Okay. That's yeah. the thing that, that like I didn't like was I feel like the script was really wordy. And I think maybe it's because they were trying to fit it to their mouths. But for whatever reason, it, it didn't uh, <laughs> convey as well to me. But I don't know. I'd be interested to see it back again on the, the a quote unquote better dub. I always think it's better to listen to uh, a movie and it's like native language. Because I feel like we discussed this before on the podcast, especially for an- like animation like probably the people who are speaking like native Japanese, like probably can convey better emotion through it, even though I don't really understand what they're doing and I can just read it. So I don't know. I, I wonder what your guys' take on that is. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's something I hadn't really even considered that much when I'm watching the movie because all the other Studio Ghibli films I've seen have English dubs that are fantastic. Another note, you were saying this is one of the earlier films. This is, I believe, the first film that Miyazaki made that's in this animation style so this kind of like cartoony but yet realistic animation style I I think if I looked at the listing this was the first one that comes before all the others this was actually made six years before the founding of Studio Ghibli so it's pretty early in his career it was actually his directorial debut right okay yeah so exactly so I think that's a little bit why this movie is a little rough around the edges at points. I know there were definitely some points where I saw the animation was very jittery or I could see like the individual frames of little people in the background or people just not moving and them just like taking a still image and dragging it or stuff like that, Um, which I feel like is not exactly common in the later Miyazaki films um, that I've seen and loved. And uh, I think that that, was definitely a bias I took into this film. It's hard to watch people's earlier work sometimes mm-hmm. when you're so accustomed to their later and more refined work. So I agree with you, Colin, that I I didn't like this movie as much as some of the other Miyazaki films that I've seen. For sure. Personally. I, but I, I did the, still enjoy it. I was going to say, like, the animation, I feel like, was hit or miss because I think it, at times, like, the background and, like, especially that water scene when he was in, like, the... when they are going through the aqueduct and it was like he was swimming mm-hmm. in the water tube thing. I thought that was really great. I thought the, the backgrounds were really lush and beautiful. But I, I agree, like there are certain times when you're like, oh, okay. Like, they kind of phoned in that part. But I assume, yeah. uh, like I'm, I'm guessing the team was pretty small and they probably really busted their ass on it. So I'm not going <laughs> to gripe them too much for certain, you know, jitteriness. But yeah, it is, it is kind of funny to see. Yeah, I agree. This, the scene on the clock tower with when, when Lupin and... And uh, when they're fighting on the clock tower, if that scene in particular, there are some frames there where the animation, specifically if you look at the faces, it definitely looks off. Definitely looks off. Or the the one mismatch is when Lupin kind of masquerades himself as uh, Inspector Zenigata. And then there's one frame where there's multiple frames actually in the scene where he looks like Zenigata. But then there are like one or two where he looks like himself. And I don't know if that's for the viewer to make the viewer understand that this is Lupin and this is Zenigata, or if that's just a bad matchup in artists trying to match the frame and and a miscommunication on the the team's part. Yeah, there were there were definitely some moments like that that were a little off. I think the thing that really made me confused about this movie is that 
I really wasn't sure who the audience was. So like going into it, I'm assuming this is like a kid's movie because it's an animated film and it just seemed like it had a really ridiculous plot that would be more at home in a kid's movie. But then there are like a lot of components that don't fit that mold. There's like, there's just swears. And, you mean like, like the brutal murder at the end? Yes. <laughs> I was getting to that. Yeah. <laughs> the the absolutely like horrific scenes towards the end where two people get <laughs> before war. This is pretty disgusting, but they get crushed in like mechanisms and you see it, man. You don't, they don't shy away from that. They even have sound effects, which by the way, I think some parts of this film are kind of jarring where they stopped having music but they kept having sound effects and and like voice lines and it's just kind of like quiet in the background and you're like mm, this feels wrong it feels like there's something missing right um i really like, so, the like music, especially though. the clock tower oh yeah but when there is music fan really yes. mm-hmm. is I that's one thing i love about every miyazaki film i i personally like spend i i listen to orchestral versions of the music when i'm doing my work and I, because I've seen lots of the different films, I can distinctly tell which soundtrack I'm listening to because they're all so unique. They're very, it's it's awesome because they're like they're cut from the same cloth, but they're all different textures. And mm-hmm. this movie definitely fits the mold, yet stands out in, in its own way. Um, I especially love the car chase at the beginning. Yeah, it was super fun. I also love the the intro, just the intro with introducing the movie with the actors and the team that is when you talk about cinematography that is was absolutely gorgeous uh you see lupin and um i'm blanking on jesus this is a i'm a, I'm a bad fan I'm, yeah jigen uh they're just as as they're traveling toward cagliostro you see them driving and sitting on the mountaintop overlooking the water and then looking at the awesome pink sunset that the is pink gorgeous. sunset so good oh, so gorgeous i want that wallpaper i i do too it's and it almost reminded me of uh, talking about listening to music during work i used to listen to uh a ton of lo-fi beats and specifically the girl that listens to lo-fi and you know she has the cat on her shoulder and she has the headphones on and she's writing in the journal yeah. that never ends and so it almost reminded me of a lot of the lo-fi videos that you see that's very calming and relaxing and it just brought me back to that which obviously is popular now but looking back in the end of the 70s and start of the 80s and an animation scene kind of where that started uh it was just very cool very cool to see that yeah totally agree like the animation and the art style very dialed in and although like i was saying there are some jittery parts i think overall it does a great job yeah, it's interesting because it's like it's hard to know how to rate animation. Do I animate it? Do I rate? Do I rate it as cinematography? I personally rated. I use the special effects to rate animation, and then the cinematography is like its own beast. Yeah, um, that's what I was doing as well. But one thing, so I also want to take back my comment on Scooby Doo. The I thought of this last night and I forgot it about it. Uh, I didn't write it down. I forgot about it as I was doing my intro. But it's more akin to. Has anybody here ever read the Tintin comics? No? Nobody? No? Nobody read those growing up? Ah, okay, so Tintin is an adventure series with 
uh, a guy, Tintin, and then a, a little older fellow that he goes on adventures with. And this movie actually reminded me a lot of that, which I read a ton of as a kid. And I read when back when I went to sleepaway camp, I would you would get these Tintin books and they're not like normal comics. They're they're thick and they're 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 these wide books and they look gorgeous. And it's just about these wacky adventures that these two uh, friends go on and they're with a dog. And it this movie reminded me a lot of that, which I think is also why this is my comfort movie, similar to Chad, how you mentioned, where it's a very easy movie to watch and relax to. And David, you talked about the plot and not necessarily knowing who this is kind of marketed toward. Um, for one thing, the plot, uh, I, I, I don't think the plot, I don't think the plot is super strong, but to me, I also overlooked that mainly because I just love the character so much and I love the actual just mm. adventure, the experience they go off of, they go on. I don't necessarily care so much about what happens more of being along for the ride. But I think that the reason why this is so comfortable for me is because it just reminds me a lot of those comics that I read as a child and kind of brings me back to that. Yeah, I I didn't like the plot and I don't really like like Wolf or Lupin or whatever he's, his name is. I think he's named Wolf in the American dubs and or in the English dubs and he's named Lupin in the or Lupin. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Basically, I don't like that he doesn't tell us any information. Like, he just keeps it all to himself. He keeps his whole team in the dark, and they're just like, yeah, this guy, he'll give us a sign when we need to know. Like, we'll just blindly follow whatever he says, and it'll all work out. And it does. <laughs> and I don't I don't know. I feel like it's kind of unnecessarily drawn out. Like, there are so many things that are like, whoa, it's a reveal. He knew all along. But you, know, you kind of know that already. It's just annoying that he's not yeah. telling you that. Because why wouldn't he tell people that? Mm-hmm. This kind of reminds me of like uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, where it's I I don't know. It, it like I like the character in like theory, but there's a lot of problematic stuff within it. I know I'm gonna get some hate for saying yeah. That. But I, I'm gonna get some hate for saying the third Indiana Jones isn't that good, but. It's a fun movie to watch, but you can't think about it too hard or it'll like break. That's how I, I feel about it. Wait, which one? Temple of Doom or the third one? Yeah, what are you talking about? Did I mix them up? Which, what's the, the guy where he rips his heart out? That's Temple of Doom. Doom. It's the second, second one. Second one, okay. And you're Sorry. justified. That's probably second worst. Crystal Skull being the worst. Oh, well, yes, Crystal Skull is the worst, but Temple of Doom... Hunter, I really thought you were about to throw your weight behind not only the Snyder cut, but the crystal skull. And I was about to be, whoa. You're like, come on, I'm really into lead leaded refrigerators. No, that was that was that was one of the most disappointing experiences in the theater that I have had. Yeah. I I grew up uh, I Blockbuster, I used to rent Indiana Jones every single weekend and I would watch it with my dad and it was so, so fun. But Temple Doom, oh that movie rocks. I had that the opposite. I saw Indiana Jones. Actually, the first Indiana Jones I saw was Crystal or Crystal Skull, and I was oh. like, that was trash. And then the beginning of COVID, Yevon and I watched all three Indiana Jones like in a row, like on a weekend, and we just made fun of it. So it was a pretty fun time. But uh, yeah. I guess I, I just I personally like the first and the third one more, but maybe I'm wrong. No, no, no. You, oh, right. Third one's a uh, Holy Grail, right? No, that's the crusade. Yeah, yeah, that's the Holy Grail. Yeah. yeah, the last yeah. crusader. Yeah. No, I know people have those opinions. I just, I might be a little bit rare, rare in my. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
no, I, I, I completely understand why people like Indiana Jones. And I feel like that's why I'm pairing it up, right? Where I'm saying, like, if you just want a fun, goofy adventure movie that's sometimes, like, uh, tonally kind of weird, this is very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, like, same thing with, like, like, the monkey brains. And what's the kid's name? Short uh, Round. Short Round, where it's a little problematic. Same thing with uh, what's his name? Wolf, like, crushing on the girl when she was, like, six. And he was like, I was going to put a moves on her. And then yeah. she was like, yeah. I, I was like, this is gross. I'm going to skip through this part. Yeah. Um, so that's how I similarly feel, where you're like, if you don't think about it and you just let it roll, and you're like, that was fun. There was like things blowing up and a clock tower and stuff. And then yeah. there's a guy that gets his heart ripped out. But I man. was super confused why they didn't de age Wolf at all for that yeah. scene. They, they there was no reason he couldn't there. have been a child. Like, right. <laughs> it, it said it was early in his career. He was just starting out, and he was like an orphan or something. Like, it it just seemed. I swear, he said so he escaped odd. when he was a child. Didn't he say that at the beginning? I know, but he said for that job, he was like, "That was my one of my earlier jobs, trying to get it big." And then he gets stabbed like six hundred times and falls off a cliff. Yeah. Well, at least he didn't like actually get with her at the end. I think that would have made it. Yeah. Made it yeah. That is. But in I, the end, he's like, you know what? Nah, you have your whole life ahead of you. Like, you don't want me. I feel like that kind of redeemed it. So it's interesting you mention that because, so in Lupin the Third is is a big series. It's been around for a while. It was a TV series uh, that actually has. I can't remember if they actually still have episodes coming out today. But they've been through numerous iterations on the TV side, and they actually just had a movie come out in 2019 uh, that was released in the U.S. in 2020 called Lupin the Third the First. Uh, what a name. <laughs> what a name. But in I've watched some of the old older TV shows after I watched this for the first time. And in a lot of the older episodes... Lupin, and I'm assuming this is way through multiple of the TGV series as I was reading a little bit, is that Lupin is much more of a womanizer and plays that card much more in the series rather than in this film. That this film was toned down a little bit and they toned the character down uh, to appeal to a wider audience. And so I want to say that because what you're mentioning is kind of jacked up a whole ton more in the TV series, not necessarily him if they don't dh him hitting on somebody who is very young and that being a very weird scenario more of just him being a womanizer where you can also see that when after the heist and uh they save the princess lupin has the ring and they're getting dinner Uh, they have spaghetti and meatballs in like that pub area and he's hitting on the waitress and so they have that shine a little bit through but normally lupin isn't a romantic as he was, that was he's more of a more of a womanizer that scene was also i didn't like because <laughs> yeah was, it was weird they played it off i don't know if it was the dubbing or something but he was just like being a total dick and then she was like ha 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 and they like ran away and i was like what the what the hell what the hell is this he's he it's it's super strange i that's the one thing that i find very strange because as i mentioned that's that stuff's kind of kicked up is that a character like that is so beloved and i guess i wonder if that's like the anti-hero because i guess he's not really an anti-hero but i don't know maybe maybe that's why is the aspect of those qualities but 
he's still trying to defeat the bad guys? I don't really know. But I, I just found that fascinating in terms of this movie possibly appealing for kids. David, like you mentioned, not knowing who it's marketed for, is that having bits and pieces like that where you're, you wouldn't really want your child seeing that. I was going to say, I feel like this movie is an example. Like, you wouldn't want to show your kids because they're looking up to this character and he's like not yeah. treating women well. And then mm-hmm. he's like, oh, it's cool for adults to hit on six year olds. That's dope. Yeah. That's and the and then the, the plot of the film is actually super dark if you think oh, about it. Like incredible. he's like drugged her to get her to marry him so that, you know, who knows what's going to happen after that to her. She's basically like screwed. And, you know, luckily Lupin the womanizer is there to save her and get her out of this bind. But it's like it's not exactly the kind of plot that it would be easy for kids to process i think you know it's not really aimed at that market which is why i was kind of confused yeah there's a whole throwaway plot that the count is making counterfeit money and they've made such good and so much counterfeit money that they now control world politics yeah there's this whole when, when it's found out on national TV, it's first off buried, and then when they find it on national TV, they're like, "Oh, we'll never cover this one up." Oh yeah. no, that's like what a, a such a weird joke. But it's like, I mean, low key though, like, how, like definitely not marketed towards children. Like, how are you supposed to explain that to like right. a nine year old? Be like, "Don't fall in love with the with the burglar who you know just shows up on our shore, and make sure you don't trust." the political elites that have been running the entire global economic systems. Also, I like how the start of the movie is like, they have that car just full of cash and he's just like, Oh, these are counterfeits. And then like the, his partner's like, Oh, it's really good though. Look amazing. Like they, they're passing it as real money. And then somehow he like has the ability to like sense it or something. is he smelling it? Did I miss a line there when he was like, I know everyone else thinks this is money, but this is fake money. And then they just start throwing it everywhere, and he immediately knows what to do. Like that, I, I think we yeah. touched on it a little bit, where they're just like, they, they just don't write into it well. They're like, I'll figure it out. There you go. In the dub, that's the better dub, they specifically say that he knows that this place is like the center of the counterfeiting crime ring. Okay. Um, uh, I, okay. I actually found a video that compares like several different clips from the Netflix version, which honestly I'm not even sure is the same Netflix version they have on there now. Um, Cause they've had it on and off for like the past eight or nine years. So, but it's definitely not the manga, uh, mega video dub, which is the superior version. So that one he had, he happened to pick up at like a goodwill on a DVD and was like, Oh sweet. I'll check this out. You know? So basically I'll sh- I'll send you guys the link and you can check it out if you want. I'll probably post it in the description of the podcast as well. Okay. But I just I thought it was super interesting to like hear the differences. It's actually very different. Like I was gonna say, I wish we heard the good one. Like I, I feel know. like this whole conversation would be very different because I feel like I'm nitpicking it, and I feel yeah. like if they actually addressed a lot of those, because I think a lot of it is just the writing of it. Because visually, it's a great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So earlier, I, I I gave credit to the three writers and Mary Claypool, who was credited for like creating the dub translation. I don't even know if she's the one who created which one, or if there were more people. Didn't really say. So yeah, there's like a lot of I feel like a lot of information that I'm missing here. But it was quite a it was quite a dig to find out which dub I had watched. It wasn't quite clear on Netflix 
Well, it wasn't clear at all, actually. I had a really hard time <laughs> figuring it out. <laughs> to say it's not quite clear is quite the understatement. Were you able to figure out, like, when these dubs were done? Is one of them just, like, so, like, old and out of date and they redubbed it and it's better now? Or, like, is the original dub better than the updated one? Like, I don't know. I couldn't find out. That's a great question. I didn't really have enough time to do more digging as to why. I was really curious in my head why they dubbed it twice. Because when I was, <laughs> like... When I was rating the movie, I had to rate it profoundly or impact-wise very low because I had never heard of it, even though I've watched like like at least five or six Miyazaki films, and I'm a fan. I haven't heard of this movie once until Hunter brought it up, and the fact that it's got two English dubs is kind of crazy to me. I'm like, why is that? So, yeah, I wish I had had more time to research. Well, I've got I've got fun facts. So it's all good. I've got I was fun. hoping you would. I was about to call on you. I oh, know I've got I, I've got the facts. Right, oh boy, it is it is uh, time, everybody. We're doing well, it in the middle. In the middle of the, episode. At the end. This Unreal. is remember how at the beginning at the beginning we were saying I, I was so surprised and I was so shocked. Now I, this is a whole new level. I can't even begin to express to you how unbelievable and shocked I am right now. More shocked than when I saw the main character in this film hitting on a nine-year-old. Hit it, Hunter. <laughs> Hunter's fun facts. All right, so you mentioned the script, right? You mentioned how, how you know some of the writing, the storyline. Well, because the film had such a tight production schedule, production was only four months, Miyazaki actually claimed that he had to alter the script in post-production to complete the film on time for release. He has never actually revealed what his original script idea was, but he has expressed that he does not like the completed film. And so we have no clue what the original script idea was. It could have been the same storyline, could have been something else, could have been, could have given some more color on certain aspects such as uh, the government knowing that uh, this counterfeit has passed all over the world. Who knows? But there you go. There's an answer there. Uh, second, fun fact that uh, the Lupin creator Monkey Punch didn't actually seek permission from Maurice LeBlanc's estate to use the name Arson Lupin, the name of our main character. That is why you hear in the North American and European versions, the dubbed versions, you hear the translation being either wolf or not Lupin, but Rupin. Rupan, actually. R-U-P-A-N. Rupan, which is the Japanese pronunciation of the word. The only time you actually ever hear Lupin pronounced in the movie is when Jodo finds the calling card on the back of his, uh, that's stuck to his back. That's the only time you ever actually hear Lupin. Uh, it's either Rupan or the wolf. So, boom, there you go. Fun fact number two. Fun fact number three. Uh, this film was initially a flop in Japan as it set a lighter, more cartoonish tone than normally seen in the manga, as I mentioned. However, it achieved classic status through reruns and re-releases. And in contrast, in the U.S., it achieved incredible popularity where the film's DVD uh, had more sales 
than the loop, actual loop in the third DVD, which was released in 1977, a few years prior. And so this film was actually incredibly popular uh, with a DVD release uh, in the U.S. And it even says has achieved classic status, which is so, so freaking cool to see. So, so cool. And then lastly, I thought this was awesome. Uh, there's a rumor that Steven Spielberg actually saw this film in the early 80s and was so impressed with it uh, that it later inspired action scenes in both Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark and then, as I mentioned, The Adventures of Tintin, the movie of Tintin, uh, that was made in 2011, which uh, Steven Spielberg did direct. And it says that there's actually no evidence of Spielberg quoting the film, uh, that, but Manga Entertainment's uh, DVD, who uh, has released this DVD for Lupin III, uh, quotes, him, quotes Spielberg as calling this movie one of the greatest adventure movies of all time. Okay, I'm just going to jump in on that part. Because I was watching the trailer for this movie on IMDb, and they quote Steven Spielberg as saying, the car chase at the beginning of the movie is the greatest car chase he's ever seen in film. So he, he was really, really hype about this movie. Yeah, he was stoked about it. How cool is that? He was amped about uh-huh. this movie. He was amped. Well, so, yeah. Those are my uh, those are a few of my fun facts. I shall conclude the segment. It's been a blast being able to host this in the middle of the podcast. And uh, now you. we will turn to our, our regularly scheduled programming. Thank you. All right. Well, while you were doing your fun facts, I went and did some research and I found the answer to Chad's earlier question. So the first dub was actually recorded in 1992. And, well, apparently it made its, it made its theatrical debut in April 1991. So my bad. The detail on the side was wrong. So 1991 is when the first dub came out, and that's the one we listened to. And then they came back and did another dub in 2000 because they wanted it to be more close to the original script. Um, however, it added a large amount of profanity, not originally present, which was not re- well received because it was considered one of the most family-friendly anime films uh, that the franchise had produced. So basically when they released it on Blu-ray, they also included an edited family-friendly version of the new manga dub or manga dub. So the one that is supposedly better was not well received, but fans think it's better, according to what I read on the internet and according to the few snippets that I heard. Also, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, when watching this movie, when Clarice's name was mentioned, the only thing I thought of and whenever I watch this movie, the first thing I think of is always Silence of the Lambs. Whenever, <laughs> when, whenever they refer to her... <laughs> I, that's the first thing I, I autom- my mind just goes there. Every time her name is mentioned, Clarice, it's automatically Anthony Hopkins. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I love it. I will say one other thing that's kind of a separate topic. I just love the world that you're in in this film. It's kind of uh, the same way most Miyazaki films build their worlds, where it's this just shy of reality kind of world. The castle has some kind of components that I don't think would exist in real life. It's got this special helicopter slash jet thing that 
doesn't exist in real life, yet is just on the edge of conceivability. And I really love that. It, it gives such a such a unique atmosphere to all these films that makes them kind of magical. I completely agree. I thought about it's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking the same thing during the car chase yesterday yesterday when I watched it specifically when they drove up on the side of the mountaintop yeah I I was I was thinking and I was thinking that oh my gosh this is unbelievable yet believable and it it kind of dips in and out of the unbelievability and that fantasy element and dips back into reality in certain pieces and I like that it kind of walks that line because it's not so unbelievable where you're sitting there and thinking, oh, this, the, um, this is a fantasy world. This is a, a make-believe world where people can do all this ridiculous stuff and not have repercussions. It pushes the limits just far enough where you're like, okay, that's kind of cool. That's new. That's interesting. Uh, that's not necessarily real life. But at the same time, you see Lupin as our main hero fall and get incredibly injured, get shot, and he's bleeding and he needs to recover and kind of dipping him back into humanity and real consequences uh, happen in this movie. So uh, I completely agree. Yeah. Yet there's the other scene that was completely unbelievable where he runs down the roof and clears a gap that's like 50 to 60 feet wide in like two two bounds. I'm like, okay, all right. I love the sound effects. Or, Or where he swims up a waterfall. He's like almost able to do it. <laughs> the fact that they didn't let him go all the way back up is what saves this movie from being completely unbelievable. I actually think they used the same sound effects when he cleared the building. I think they used the same sound effects in that very first scene when they robbed the casino and they were jumping over those wires, I believe. I'm pretty sure that was the same sound effect because I noticed that <laughs> yesterday. Hearing the whoop. The headphone listeners beware of the sound that you just heard. My apologies. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> where it's it gives that like high pitch, like that cartoony little yeah bend. Uh, I think they use that twice. That was just something that I noted because I, I really enjoy that sound effect being used there. I just thought it it gave it just a great cartoony, just fun element. Yeah. Well, I think we've talked about this movie quite a lot and said our piece you guys want to move into scores heck yeah all right well hunter you started us off today what did you rate this movie all right as i mentioned this movie is my go-to comfort movie not because of the plot not because of it really any particular thing in drawing you in in the case of being on the edge of your seat it's more about just having characters that you can hang out with and being along the ride for a very just fun adventure and so that isn't always reflected in our ratings and that has shown for this movie this movie is the equivalent of going on an adventure where you're going to some far off land having to defeat some old dude who's hitting on who's trying to marry some young girl for some type of power thing (laughs) and and also we didn't mention this but at the end i always thought especially on my first watch with the guy wearing those horns i was like oh this looks like a little satanic i i know it's not but i was i I don't know it just kind of gave off that vibe 
But anyway, it's got all the excitement and the adventure, and the ratings reflect that. It's at a 75.5 from me. Highlights right there are, one, uh, enjoyability uh, gets an 8. I've actually just changed that. Uh, enjoyability gets an 8. The cinematography gets an 8. As I mentioned, I thought that was absolutely the, the opening scene is something that you could just watch by itself and watch on replay, watch while you're working, put it on your TV to hit it on loop, and it's just relaxing. It's amazing. And then lastly, I gave the special effects a nine. This was an animated movie from 1979, and the fact that it looked this good and that it still holds up today. Now, we do criticize a few elements, not looking great, but for the fact that it still looks great today, it's still watchable, I give that a nine. I thought it was awesome. Overall, a 75.5. Sweet. Solid score for this movie. Uh, just to go quickly off what you mentioned about the satanic uh, horns on Cagliostro's uh, face mask, I think that one of the interesting things that Miyazaki does in his films is take influences from all over the world, different cultures, when he's building the aesthetic. So it's got like this Euro- European um, aesthetic in the castle, but it's also got different aesthetics different kind of cultures pulled in for the for the garb and for the i mean i guess satanic garb and that's something that you can see throughout a lot of his films i think is really cool all right well chad what did you rate this film it suffers uh with our rating system that is for sure (laughs) i I don't want to come in here and having anybody expect that this is going to get a good score for this film but I will preface that by saying it was one of the films that we've seen that I enjoyed watching, not from a critical sense, but just from a standard, like I like watching movies kind of guy, like saying I enjoyed this movie from that perspective. Um, I, I thought artistry was pretty good. I liked some of the set designs. I liked the world that was built, David, that you were mentioning I gave it pretty decent for cinematography despite some of the misses that might be included in there. Um, music was great. I really enjoyed the score. That was one of the, this was one of the few films that I remember watching where the music overtakes a scene. And I remember the music standing out as opposed to what might be happening on screen. And that very rarely happens for me. Usually music just ends up being more background noise for me. So mm-hmm. I was impressed that I, I noticed it and picked up on it. Usually that means it's pretty top notch. Overall, it ended up getting a 60. So, but to put that in context, that is not like, like tanking it bad. That's better than Mank. It's <laughs> definitely better than I'm thinking of ending things. It is mm-hmm. uh, better than the Snyder cut. It does lose to Imbruge, though. Uh, Imbruge, um, hey. superior film by several points. That's not hey. that, that is not close. Wow. Let's go. I if I had to pick, I would watch Imbruge over this film as they put on in the background. Stupid, silly movie. Only because I cannot tell you how many times I have walked around in my real life and I have looked at something and I've gone, "What an alcove." What a nice little alcove. <laughs> Nooks and crannies. Uh, I think that movie has definitely improved in my mind just because of the memes. Like in this 
in this group. I feel like it, it's much more, it'd be a much more enjoyable second pass yep. due to that. That'll if we, just, if we ever make it big, we need to become like the cult fan base for in Bruges. I'm gonna get, <laughs> we, if, we if need to plow ahead. And... In Bruges tattoo. You can, you can quote yes. me on that. I will get. I, actually, yeah, I could get in on that, man. I will get. You are an inanimate fucking object and like a phone, like tattooed on my leg. I'm gonna get like alcove tattooed in my armpit or like behind my knee. Uh, I was gonna say I, I okay. just finished watching. <laughs> uh, uh, what was it? Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, and then Charles Barkley was talking about him losing to him in the finals. And Charles Barkley's like, I'm not even mad. He's like, to lose anyone in the finals to Michael Jordan, it's not that big of a deal. He's like, I'll take it. That's the that's same thing right now. You know, you shouldn't feel that bad losing in Bruges. It's it's Michael Jordan. Jumping from the free throw line, tongue out. <laughs> Windmill Duncan on you. It's okay. Not everyone's the goat. Um, I had a similar experience to this movie. I think overall, it it. I think it was a pleasant experience. I wouldn't tell anyone not to do it, but was it the best? Was it like, I'm going to call up my family and tell them to watch it like I did Parasite? No, but I think for what it is, and especially, Hunter, what what you kind of frame it as is just like a feel-good movie. And in your case, it just makes you happy. I'm not going to fault you with that for all. I can completely understand where you're coming from. Next week, we're watching Napoleon Dynamite. It's my similar movie. Am I going to say that Napoleon Dynamite should be in the Louvre or like it should be heralded as high art? No, not even close. But do I love it? Yeah, it's the best fucking movie ever. I love Napoleon Dynamite. So I agree. I'm going to give it like a six, maybe like a 6.25 out of 10. You know, not bad. I, uh, Hunter, I can see why you like it. That's high praise. I appreciate that. Thank you. High praise. And uh, I will round it out. I ended up at a 70, just barely shy of getting in the 60s. Uh, I agree with most of what you guys said. The soundtrack and the um, special effects slash cinematography were really what stood out for me. The impact and profoundness of this movie were definitely very low for me. I, I rated them a four and a two, respectively. Um, and then mostly everything else got like sevens and eights. So overall, 70. I agree with you guys. Would recommend this movie mostly on the basis of that Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli films are actually pretty hard to access right now. You have to watch them on HBO Max, aside from The Grave of the Fireflies, which is for some reason available on Hulu. However, that one is like one of the most super okay. heavy movies I've ever seen. So that might and be the most bummer movie ever. I made. know. It's really, really good, but it's also very sad. So. I was going to say, I, I don't think, think my, my mental state could handle it right now. I know I've seen it once before, and I know it's really good. Yeah. But uh, I don't want to lay down and cry for four hours straight. So we're going to take know, a pass on That's the kind of movie you just b- crawl up in a ball, hide under the covers, and just let it let it go. But this movie is the opposite of that. And I think that for that reason alone, it, it's definitely one of those movies I think you should check out if you don't have HBO Max and don't have access to the other Miyazaki films out there. I think it's a great way to dip your toe in and get a bit of that action and fun and creativity that he brings to the movie scene. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for today. We would love to hear from our listeners, whether it's behind the scenes questions or movie suggestions. Did you like this movie? What did you think of the plot? I mean, I don't know. 
What's your favorite Miyazaki film? Let us know by leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or email us at ampedaboutmovies at gmail.com. We hope this episode has gotten you amped about Lupin the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro, and we'll catch you next week when we discuss Napoleon Dynamite. Peace.